welcome. Uh, Hayley Dyson. Hi, how you doing? Well, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Really well. Uh, much better. That's good. My audio is better now. Now, today we're going to be talking about risk and things like that. And there's a, le there's a level of risk. So there's one level of risk, which is zero risk. And then there's extreme risk where you're screwed if you try something. And the question is, where do we go here? You know what I mean? Because, you know, you've probably heard these sayings like fortune favors the bold. And what that means is, you know, if you don't risk anything at all, you're never going to get anywhere. But if you're not smart with your risks, if you don't look at it the right way and do the numbers and get it right, well, then you're a fool because you're going to lose everything. And people that um, risk things on intuition without the numbers, it's a bit like going to the casino. But if you know what you're doing and you risk it properly, it's very different. I've got a little story about risk. Basically, you know, if you really want no risk in your life, I've got a great place where you get no risk. There's this little place in Glenside. They give you a padded room and a nice little jacket. They give you three meals a day and there's no risk because you don't leave yourself. But what a way to live, right? Because even um, you know, getting out of bed, Having a shower, walk across the road is risky. So let's talk risk. How are you going, Hayley? Well, thanks, George. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I really think um, when you're starting on your real estate journey, you start investing in property, you're starting to accumulate assets. And at the beginning is when you're most vulnerable because the debt to equity ratio is very large. You're not making a very positive cash flow because it takes time. And that's where most of your risk is at the beginning of your journey. As you go ahead in your journey and you make more money, it becomes less and less risky. And, you know, if you, they, they say the statistics are that 90% of people that invest in property lose money in the first year. And nearly 100% of people that have property for seven years make money. So it's all a matter of holding it long enough so I really think at the beginning of your journey, you really need to manage that risk. So let's talk about risk. Yes, one of my favourite topics. Excellent. Yes. So I completely agree with you. Having a really good risk mitigation strategy can really help you in your property journey because it allows you to hold your property for longer. It allows you to obtain more property and allows you to protect yourself if, God forbid, something were to happen to threaten the security of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And look, at times like this, I mean, we've just gone through a boom and there's a bit of a correction going on. So it's times like this that, um, you know, a lot of people feel that it's risky and, and people want to get safe. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So one of the ways that I encourage clients to get safe, and I, you do as well, George, is to uh, make sure you have appropriate personal insurances behind you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I guess the number one thing, that you really want to get is house insurance for your investors, correct? Or, yeah. You know, investors insurance because you know the, the chance of your house burning down is very small. But if it did burn down, it would be devastating. Absolutely, yep. And obviously, it ruins abs everything that you're achieving if all of a sudden your house is not there and you still have a debt. So, yep, exactly. And and I think yeah. um, it's the merchants of Venice. Uh, were one of the people that actually invented uh, risk management. 
Yes. So what used to happen is the Merchants of Venice, they used to get a boat, go out to the east and collect, you know, silks and spices and all this sort of stuff and bring it back. And if they made it back, they would earn a fortune. They'd make so much money. It was a massive return. But it was a very big outlay. The challenge was there was a lot of pirates. There was the Ottoman Empire at the time as well, the Turks and all that. And so it was quite dangerous. And one out of ten ships didn't make it back. So you had a you had a ninety percent chance of making it back, which is great. But if that you had that ten percent chance, then you're screwed. So what they did is they decided to get together in groups of ten and share the risk and say, okay, we all send one ship each, and if we lose a ship, everyone else will chip in, and that way everyone makes a profit. You make ten percent less profit, but you're guaranteed to get something back instead of risking everything. So the funny enough, it worked really well for them. Right. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, and the other fascinating thing about insurance, um, I know this is in, um, I know this is in car insurance. I'm not sure about house insurance, but with car insurance, car insurance companies don't actually make money on the insurance. They make a lot. Yeah, I paid that as well. Yeah. Yeah, but what they do is the money you give them, they invest that money, and they make the money out of the money they invest to be able to pay more for claims. So really, the whole car insurance and house insurance game is not about making money out of insurance, but getting enough people to give them money so they can get that money and play it on, play it on the money market. Because um, right, short-term yeah. lending, when it's hundreds of millions of dollars, is quite lucrative. And they do it over and over again throughout the year. Yeah, so, that's right. So insurance companies, when it comes to this sort of stuff, and I don't know about life insurance, but I'll be curious about that, but I know house and, and car insurance, they're actually like a bank. You know, you deposit your money for your premium, and they have it for the year, and what they do with it is they invest it, and therefore they can afford to pay people out. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then there's personal insurance, which we want to talk about. And yes. um, it's interesting about personal insurance because I think that's going to change quite a bit in the future. And the reason being is the personal insurance in the industry, they have got the best statistics when it comes to you know, mortality risks because they need to know – What's the chance of you dying? Yes, that's right. Right? And that's why they get a lot of people to fill out all those massive forms. They know, are you going to get sick? Are you going to die? What's the chance? And yeah. they get statistics, lots of statistics, and they can predict when you're going to die. Now, the thing is, recently we've had a longevity explosion where people live longer. It's been happening for the last, you know, thousands of years, especially the last hundred years. But at the moment, you know, someone born today, they say, will live to 120. So the difference is massive, and they haven't kept up with that. So that's going to be very interesting because at the end yes. of the day, um, I suppose they haven't really updated their data, so they've got less chance of paying out because less people are going to die. Yeah, so Probably. one of the things they've recently to uh, – sorry, to, uh, yes, to address that was um, they changed the rules regarding income protection. Oh, really? So, yeah, so they've actually made it a little bit more difficult to get income protection. Yep. And um, it's not as good as it used to be because you used to be able to get it that it would keep paying until age 65 and nowadays it's not as as good because they will only pay 60% of your salary to age 65 instead of 75. So people that got insurance before that, you know, you're on a win. But, um, yeah, it's still better than the nothing that most people have. But you're absolutely right, George. Things are already changing because the government is realising that the insurance industry is not sustainable the way that it's going and that um, people are going to be living longer and therefore there needs to be some changes. So you're absolutely right. 
Yeah, but the other deal is, though, I mean, the fact of it is, you know, we don't have the population of workers to pay for everyone retiring because the baby boomers are retiring and it's a massive amount of people that are going to go out of work and it's actually in the first world it's catastrophic because it's going to be very difficult because in the past you would all sort of had quite a number of workers supporting one or two retirees. But now we've got the grey tsunami. What the grey tsunami is is we've got a whole big bunch of baby boomers that are retiring at the moment all at the same time. It's going to be tough. And the fact of it is the age-old pension just doesn't cut it if you want a good lifestyle. You know what That's I mean? right. If you want to eat baked beans, maybe, but if you don't want to eat baked beans, it's not going to cut it. And that's why people would get smarter with their super, with their investing and everything else like that. And I personally think, you know, the whole pension thing is a safety net. You know, yes. don't rely on it because it's not worth relying on. It's something you get in case of emergency, but what you really need to do is protect yourself, insure yourself, invest, and fund your own retirement. You're right, because the full-age pension for a couple is only about $37,000 a year, and the uh, pension for a single person is only about twenty-five. so you're absolutely right, because a comfortable retirement for a couple is at least sixty to 70000 So you've funded maybe half of it, so you still got to come up with the other half from somewhere. So that is through your own investing or through superannuation and or a combination of both, which is what I personally like because superannuation is something that we have to have. So let's try and make it work the best we can. Exactly. I mean, I'm not a big fan of super, but if you're going to have it, you might as well use it to its best advantage yes. because most people got locked away in some stupid fund that charge you too much money that doesn't really work well. And yep. there's a lot better way of controlling the super and doing a lot better stuff. That's right. You're speaking my language tonight, George. This is all stuff that I get very excited about and I can talk about for a long time. So this is great. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me. And, and one, thing, um, one thing you've done for a few of our clients, if you've actually helped them get their savings and their super, invest it, grow it, so then they can get the money and actually use it for property, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So that's pretty cool as well, which is awesome because, you know, it's a matter of making all your assets work for you one or the other. You know, what you've got to do is the cards you dealt, the cards you have, the super you've got, the equity you have and everything else you've got, you've got to try to use them all the best you can. And that's why I surround myself with experts like yourself. So that way I can get the best I can out of my super, get the best I can out of my insurance because, you know, if you go to a fund for your super, investing you're just a number they don't care mm -hmm. if you go to a big company for your in income protection or life protection they don't care they're going to give you whatever works for them the fact of it is you know companies they're going to do what's in their best interest not your best interest and that's why i don't go to a bank for a loan i get a broker that's mm -hmm. why i don't go to amp for life insurance i go to you because you can shop it against everyone else and then yes. give you the best deal and actually Find the one that works for me because you've got to get a good fit. There's no point getting a square peg and trying to stick it in a round hole because it's not going to fit. Absolutely. You're right. And there's lots of things that can be done with your insurances and with your super that most people don't realise because, you know, they advertise all the time that the industry fund is the best, but um, oh, yeah. there are lots of better options out there. Excellent. Yeah, so tell me, what, what do we need to look at when it comes to risk management? What do we need to look after? What do we need to do? What's the best practices? How do you know what you need? 
so when you're looking at risk management, when I'm working with my clients, I have a look at their insurances and I have a look at how their superannuation is invested. So it's two very basic things that everyone can do to make sure that they're in the best position possible. So making sure that your superannuation is invested in a way that's in line with your goals can be really beneficial because most funds just stick you in their standard default option, which may or may not suit you. So it's about making sure that your superannuation is invested so it's growing and it's working the best it can for you and you're not paying too much in fees. Yes, because it all depends on where you're at too. I mean, a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old are going to invest their money very differently. That's right. You're not not the same appetite because at 60, you don't have a lot of time um, and you've got to play it safe. At 20, you've got a lot of time. Absolutely. And, you, know, yep. you can actually accumulate quite a bit of wealth over that time if you do it properly. Yeah, that's right. So I'm of the belief that financial planning is for everyone. Most people think it's just for the wealthy, but it actually is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you have $5,000 or $500,000, you can still get some benefit from speaking with a qualified, fantastic advisor. I totally agree. I think at the end of the day, actually, if you got less, you really need more help. Yes. Because right. you want to make more. But if you've got a lot, you still need the help because you want to manage it properly. So it doesn't matter yes. where you're at. You want to do the best you can with what you've got. No point in saying, right. oh, you know, I've got I've got 40 grand. Who cares? Let's just not worry about it. Your miles will do something with it. That's right. 40 grand is still a lot of money. There's a lot mm-hmm. you can do with 40 grand versus just sticking it in the bank. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, as you said, exactly. It's not, it's not enough to do anything with, but actually it is. Yeah, so look, I'd like um, if anyone's watching, if you've got any questions, we're going to do a bit of a Q&A here at the end because what we're doing is we're going to be going to our private group um, at around, let's have a look. I'm going to check my calendar. At 6.05, we go to our private group, 6.35 Australian Eastern Standard Time. And then, so we've got another 15 minutes anyway. Okay, here we go, Trent, if you'd like to read this question out. If you were starting out and had 150000 in cash, what would the moves you'd make be in the current market? Well, you know what? It's actually a really great time to start investing because all the markets are really low. So I know people yeah. are going, oh, my gosh, I'm losing money. Things are going backwards. But, you know, what it means is that you're getting in on the ground floor. You know, you're buying when it's cheap. So you can get in on um, at, right now and you can take advantage of all the growth that is coming. Yeah. At the end of the day, Trent, um, you know, the deal is to really know what you need to do. We need to know the bigger picture. But, um, yeah. you know, a good start is you've got 150000 k. We don't understand where your goals are, where you want to get. We don't understand your tax situation or for your income because at the end of the day, there's a fine line between your tax, your income, your your equity and your cash and your goals. And, and, when, you put those together, yeah, and when you put those things together, then you can actually find a way of getting where you want to get to. But 150000 cash is a lot of money. And yes. at the moment, we're in an inflationary cycle. So this is the worst time to have cash. Yes. And the best time. It's the best time because you can buy. Worst time if you keep it in the bank. Because the problem is when you keep it in the bank, your money is shrinking day in, day out. And the banks aren't giving a lot of interest. And what happens is people that keep cash in their bank, and I've seen this happen over and over again because the cycles normally last, you know, between seven to 10 years with the property market where the properties sort of sit there and do nothing, then they spike 
then they have a correction, and they sit there and do nothing, and then they spike, have a correction. And what happens is when people get caught up in waiting and then they've, they've missed the whole cycle that's gone up, then suddenly they've gone from being able to afford one or two properties to only one or zero properties, and each, each cycle they wait, they're going backwards, and suddenly they can't even get into the market, which is really that's sad. Right. And um, because a lot of people get caught up in analysis paralysis and get caught up in that. But the, the other end is you don't want to get FOMO and just jump in and buy anything because that's not going to help because you make your money when you buy. So being super careful and doing it right is the most important thing you can do in your in your life because if you do it right, it's going to pay dividends for the rest of your life. But if you do it wrong, you're screwed for the rest of your life, literally. Yeah. And that's the problem. So yeah, what is so the yep, sorry, go. No, I was just gonna absolutely just um build on what you said, George. Like it's just about getting the right advice and the good people around you and working out what your goals are. So, you know, working out sit, sitting down with the right people, working out which properties you want to buy, what else you want to do, where, where you want to see yourself is a great place to start. So just starting with with the right advice. Yep. And the exciting thing is is this December, fourth and fifth of December. Um, you're going to see us live here in Adelaide. We're going to awesome. be at the Lakes Resort um, doing our workshop. It's got an amazing room, a beautiful view, people from all around Australia. Some people from overseas are coming for this event. It's going to be very exciting. And I have I can vouch for that, George. I've been to a few of these run by you and Christina, and they're always fantastic, and everyone gets so much value out of them. Now, um, what is the first step to financial planning? Uh, again, just to reiterate what I just said is have, have working with the right people. So sitting down with someone that specialises in the area that you're interested in and the area that you want to grow in and um, getting advice from someone who's qualified and can offer you the right strategies. When are you coming to Melbourne again? Well, I was only there recently, so probably not for a little bit, but I come to Melbourne three or four times a year anyway, so it depends on when I'm booked in. I've probably got a concert or an event to go there pretty soon anyway. We'll see what happens. Because a lot of concerts get missed out in Adelaide. But they do. I'm, planning on, I'm planning on moving to Bali soon anyway, so we'll see what happens. I want to um, – I was supposed to go beginning of COVID, but unfortunately with COVID, we couldn't go there. So we've been stuck in Australia for two years, so it should be interesting. Yeah. Exciting times ahead, George. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, – Risk. So what type of risk can you cover? Tell me. Where Where is it? Um, so I've touched already about making sure your superannuation is working for you, but another big part that I'm quite passionate about is making sure everyone has a good backup plan. Uh, yeah. You mentioned already, George, about how when people start out in property, they generally have a large debt-to-equity ratio. So what that means is having adequate protection in place. So if, God forbid, something were to happen to you that stopped you from earning your income, or stopped your family from earning the income, you can still continue to reach your goals. So there's yes. four different types of insurance that um, are available to most people, which is life insurance, which pays a lump sum if you pass away, you know, no-brainer. But it's important to make sure that the what you would like to happen if you went around is accounted for. So that includes paying off any debt that you would like to have paid off. Uh, that includes providing for your family, like by income replacement, things like that, like for example, if you have a husband and wife and the wife's on 200000 and the husband is a stay-at-home dad, 
If the wife passes away, even if the husband has no debt, he still may struggle to pay the bills. And therefore, that's when you find yourself in a situation where you go, I'm going to sell that property. I'm going to, you know, make choices that wouldn't ordinarily be your first choice and may not be the right time for you to sell. It may not be, you know, obviously you bought these assets because you wanted to grow your wealth. You didn't buy them just because you had to sell them. So the idea behind that is giving your family a backup if you're not around to contribute. And then there's, yeah, and there's total permanent disability cover and that gives you a lump sum if you're totally and permanently disabled and you can never work again. And most people think that means that you're in a wheelchair or you have a brain injury. Uh, it might mean that you have a back injury and you can't do your job anymore so you can't earn an income. So that provides a lump sum that can help you pay for medical expenses and pay for debt and provide for your family the same thing. Yep. Um, the, the income protection is very interesting where yes. um, they can keep paying your mortgage even if you can't work. That's, That's right. So in, income protection is one of my favourite ones, particularly um, for anyone who's, again, trying to grow their wealth because income protection pays a portion of your salary if you're injured or ill and you cannot work. And that can be for a short period of time or a longer period of time. So I like to have it set up where possible that it kicks in after you've been off work for 30 days because most people can get through about 30 days without it affecting their cash flow too much. And after that, it continues to pay until you reach age 65 or until you return to work, whichever comes first. So that could cover something like a broken leg. That could cover a car accident. That could cover, you know, something like cancer. You're off work for two years and then you get better and you go back to work. Or it can be something where you are never going to work again. And that can continue to pay till you reach age 65. So therefore, again, you've got income coming in so you can still continue to work towards your goals instead of having to stop everything because you cannot make it earn an income. Yeah, it's worst case scenario because funny enough, um, I don't know if you know this, but um, back in the 90s, I did a little stint when I was selling life insurance. I did know that, George. And um, I was um, working in North Adelaide for the South Australian Soccer Federation Insurance Services, long name. And terrible name. When I'd ring people up, they're like, who do you work for? <laughs> like, <laughs> they could never remember. But um, Sassus. But um, I remember there was a couple that were florists at Adelaide Markets. And I was talking to them about getting income protection. And this is back in the early 90s. I think it was about 92 or 93. And they were going to get $150,000 payout plus, plus uh, 80% of the income or something like that. At those days, it was a lot, lot better. Yes, that's right. And... Um, we, we did the proposal, got it all happening, and they're like, oh, we'll think about it. And I came and saw them. They're like, ah, oh, come back next week. And I was like, God, I don't want to keep coming back. And I came back and I said, hey, are you ready? And he goes, oh, um, I can't do it. My wife's dead. And I go, ha, 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 how funny. Mm. And he looked at me like, no, it's not funny. Because I was like, it was, I thought he was having a joke at me because we're talking about life insurance. Right? Yeah. And unfortunately, she passed away during that week while they're waiting. And they had yeah. two kids and a business, and he sort of broke down and said, look, I wish I listened to you because now I can't run the business. I need to look after the kids. And he yes. was financially just screwed because he's yes. going to lose the business, lose everything, and it was really tough. It was terrible. It was so sad to hear that, um, that there could have been such a difference if only a week ago we did that. And it's the sort of thing you get that you hope never you never need. need you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, George, in my line of work, I've heard that story too many times. So it does yeah. happen. I've got a client at the moment who luckily I signed him up in 2021. 
they've yep. come back to me and he has just been diagnosed with really aggressive multiple sclerosis. Wow. So he's in the mid-40s. Um, he's very shortly going to be confined to a wheelchair and not going to be able to work again. But luckily we set him up with all the insurances, so he's going to have income coming in until he's 65 and he's got you know a couple of million coming in really soon to be able to help him pay his debts and provide for his family, which includes young children and a wife who was only working part-time. So that's yeah. going to make a massive difference to them, you know what I mean? Let's face it, yes. like huge. Because yes. otherwise the financial part of this is going to be very difficult. It's bad enough having something like MS. What makes it even worse is having financial pressure and not being able to do what you need to do. Now that sort of money, they'll be able to get the best treatment and really do the best they can, which is great. That's right, yeah. And that, to me, I was absolutely blown away because I'm just like, wow, I'm so glad I met these people and I was able to set them up. So now money is something they don't have to worry about. They can just, as you said exactly, George, you put the hit the nail on the head. They can just worry about his health and spending time together as a family while he's still well. Yeah. So Trent, Trent's saying 47 of people that bought at the peak last year locked in 2.79 for two years. Wouldn't the best time be next year when they're suddenly hit with 5% lots of people over leverage? Look, Trent, um, you're talking about speculation here and trying to work out what people did and what's going to happen to them in the future is there's a lot of moving parts there and it's very complicated and hard to predict. So what we're better off doing is looking at the market in general and seeing how the market behaves. And basically the market, the property market, goes up 5 to 7% on average per year long-term and doubles every 7 or 10 years. That's a given. Everything else is speculation because we've got lots of immigration, we've got equity, um, lots of um, inflation, so that might balance it out. So it's um, very hard to single out one small part of the market and try to predict how it's going to affect the market. But it's very easy to look at the macro statistics and see how properties double every seven or 10 years and use that to invest in property. So I really think looking at the macro is much better and healthier. Waiting to invest in property is not a good strategy because over and over again, over the last 20 years, I've seen it happen year in, year out, people waiting and going, oh, I'm going to wait because of this. You know, after GFC hit, everyone's saying, I'm going to wait for everyone to go broke and then I'm going to buy. What happened? There was a big, massive boom. I remember when COVID hit, everyone said, well, I'm not going to buy now because I'm going to wait till after COVID. And then there was another massive boom. There's going to be another boom again. And if you're waiting, all you're going to do is miss out because the people that think it's going to drop and there's going to be a boom, uh, then I'll get in after it drops. They end up missing out on the market, not getting anywhere. That's the fact of it. So not a good strategy. You know, a strategy to make money in property, the number one strategy in property is the number one rule. There's two rules. Rule number one, don't lose any money. So you've got to buy the right thing at the right time. Number two, don't speculate because if, if you don't have property, you can't make money out of property. And a lot of people that are waiting for that magic moment, they're just not actually investors, they're waiters. They just sit there and wait. And people that wait to buy property don't make money out of property. People that have got property make money out of property. Well said, George. Timing the market is one of the most difficult things of investing. There you go. And that's it. Now, Warren Buffett, he didn't make any crazy returns at the beginning. He made very average returns, very, very average, 4 or 5% per year on average. But 
he was there for a long, long, long time. And he kept compounding his money. And he started, I think, when he was 11 years old. Like, wow. And even wow. when he was 50, he wasn't, no one knew who he was. He was a millionaire, but that's all. He didn't become a billionaire till 59. That's when people, he got on the radar. So imagine if he quit early or if he speculated and waited till he was 50 or waited till he was 40, going, oh, I'm not going to invest now. It might go down. You know, he just got in there and kept investing. That's now, right. At the moment, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hold off investing. And like Warren Buffett says, do the opposite, invest. A bit like at the beginning of COVID, there's a lot of people that held out. Our members got in there and invested. And I can tell you, every single one of our clients that invested over the last two years, they have made, you know, 100, 200% return on their money in the last, you know, two years, which is amazing. And it's 6.05, exactly. So we're going to have to end this because we have to go to a private group. Um, any last thoughts before we go? Um, someone just asked a couple of questions about financial planning. Uh, what should I look for in a financial planner? Someone that you connect with, someone that you feel you gel with and that cares about your goals and can assist you with the things that are important to you and also someone that's well qualified. That's my last <laughs> last takeaway. If you want to work with a financial advisor, I advise it for everyone. Make sure that you work with someone that you think is suitable for you. Yeah, and um, what I've done is I've actually created the worksheet on how to choose a financial advisor. And what I'm going to be doing is giving it away for free. Type in hashtag financial planning and I'll send you a copy and you can actually check it out. It gives you a little checklist and I use this myself. I've got a checklist for all sorts of stuff and this is one of the checklists you need and it, you can go through an interview financial planner and see if they've got what it takes. Just type in hashtag financial planner. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I really appreciate it. I've got a great Thursday night. Um, and um, we're going to be coming with the goods again next Thursday. It's going to be great. I'm very excited. And um, we're going to go to our private group now. Thank you.